This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Aloha, spooky nerds, and welcome to Talking Strange, a paranormal pop culture show with the Dinner Geek Network, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I'm your host, journalist, author, researcher of all things weird, Aaron Sagers. You can also catch me as the host of the Netflix series 28 Days Haunted, and you can catch me on the Travel Channel and Discovery Plus show Paranormal Caught on Camera. So let me tell you about the guests and the project we're going to be talking about today. This is an exciting one. I've, I've kept an eye on this one for a while, and I'm happy that you guys can get it in your hot little hands. Uh, issue one is already out. Issue two is right around the corner. So from the New York Times best-selling and award-winning co-creators of Something is Killing the Children, The Nice House on the Lake, The Department of Truth and Powers, comes this ambitious non-fiction comic book experience depicting true stories of UFO abductions with an eye to capturing the strange essence of those encounters. And in this debut issue published by Dark Horse Comics, James Tenen the fourth and Michael Avon Oming presents true weird stories. These are tales of ordinary people encountering the strange and impossible. And they retell some of the most popular UFO and alien encounters, beginning with the infamous Betty and Barney Hill abduction. It's widely publicized. We've talked about it on here before. Really the first, if not the first abduction case, first widely publicized abduction case went on to really shape and influence all future encounters and the comic is Blue Book, and my guests today are artist Michael Avonoming and editor Greg Lockhart. And bring these guys in. Hi, guys! Thanks for uh, Hi, joining man. me today for a chat. And first, I, I really, like I said, I, I have been looking forward to this book for a bit of time ever since I saw the Dark Horse announcement for it, and then I find out that it's also it began as a Substack. And there's this the subscription service, so I'm I'm glad to have it in print form, but I'm also excited that it's been out there on the subscription service for a while. I want to learn a little bit about the evolution of this project and how each of you became involved with it. And uh, Greg, why don't you begin? Because how did you enter into uh, the the Blue Book comic? Uh, it, but yeah, my, my entering was pretty undramatic. Um, James, I've known since, um, uh, his days as a Vertigo intern and, uh, he reached out when he was, uh, signing the Substack deal, uh, to see if I was available to edit the projects he was launching within that. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had Michael, Michael and Michael can talk about the origins more. Like Michael was already lined up and 
and going before I was on board. So I was just excited. Yeah. The, well, Mike, yeah. Add to that. The, the initial idea to make a comic based on both nonfiction events, but events in this high strangeness world that some people might see as fiction. Talk about, yeah. That. Yeah. It was a real dream come true because it's, it's the kind of project I've wanted to do for a very long time to do a sort of non-fictional account of these things, you know, like maybe in the style of the old um, Ripley's Believe It or Not, or kind of a Twilight Zone or the old television show um, In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy, like just sort of present stuff and, and mix narrative with facts, um, but not actually adding any anything to sort of, you know, glorify the story to, to add in extra stuff, but to just uh, to do a dramatic presentation of it along with the facts and stuff. Um, I have always been into fringe, weird UFO mystery kind of stuff. And when James Tinian came out with his book, Department of Truth, it was like, it was like, everybody's been trying to do the X-Files since the X-Files came out. And really it's hard to capture that again. You just can't. And he kind of did it in this book, Department of Truth. Um, especially when you look at the, 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 the UFO field and conspiracy field, a lot of it starts to sort of delve into like a consciousness thing and how we're affecting the events around us. And he really tapped into that, into the book. And I just reached out to him and I was like, oh my God, this was, this was amazing. And um, he had been a fan of mine from Powers because um, I'm old and I've been around forever. Um, and he had this opportunity at, at Substack and was like, hey, what do you think about doing Blue Book? And it was the kind of thing that the second he said it, not only was I in it, I just saw exactly what it would be. And it was exactly what James was thinking. We even, like, even the blue tone thing, it sounds pretty obvious, but it sort of became our compass for everything else. Like this sort of very simple, straightforward truth of the facts um, as present. Um, and, and that blue color kind of almost reflects that, that feeling of it. So it was true kismet. It was one of those, those few things that really come along, like lightning in a bottle. It's, it's with the right persons, with the right people, um, working with our letterers, Adia and um, Greg. Um, Greg really keeps us all together because we're all sort of scattered brain creatives. You know, we need somebody who can wrangle us <laughs> and put us together. So that's kind of how it all, all came together. I feel like you just said so many things that made me excited, but also want to I, like within arms. Well, just out of arms reach actually are a bunch of vintage Ripley's believe it or not comics that we're talking about oh. both. You know, they, they did dip into ghost stories, but also other strangeness. And I had, I had done a project called Ripley's road trip where we were kind of pursuing some of those odd things. But then on top of that, I have like an X-Files t-shirt on and, <laughs> and, and we will get into this, but <laughs> a copy of the Betty and Barney Hill book oh captured. God. So yeah. yes. this I'm, I'm right here with you. I'm nerding now with you. And also was a big fan of powers. So I was oh, excited to see you. this. So, yeah, I, I think that that's, and Greg, what was your interest in this topic at all? It sounds like Mike was firmly entrenched in the material already, but were you into it or did you have to kind of, dive into the deep end with James and Mike. Uh, I was in, I've been into it. You know, I was um, uh, cool enough to watch all the X-Files episodes. 
alone on Friday nights in high school. So um, I was on board and have been on board. But yeah, so the, the, the depth and breadth of like Michael and, and, and James's knowledge is um, is beyond me. So it, I do, I it, you know, they give me books to read and um, there's like an aspect of me learning, you know, like being, just being like your um, every man reader, every mm-hmm. person reader, you know, that I, that, that someone may just to approach it from maybe an eye of a non-expert um, is what I try to do. But yeah, I, I learn every, with every new chapter, I'm learning something new and definitely getting more and more pulled into it for sure. <laughs> yeah. I, and that's, it's an important role to play because when you get into this material, it's so easy to get into the material so deep that you right. don't see the sort of the everyday Joe's perspective on it. So that is, yeah. that's necessary. Just out of curiosity, what books did they give you to read? What were they saying? Be familiar with. Oh my gosh. I haven't finished it yet. Um, what's that, that massive report? Um, I think it's the uh, Richard Dolan book. The Richard yeah. Dolan book, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I dipped out, and I obviously haven't dipped back in in a while. But, um, yeah, I was working through the Dolan. And, uh, yeah, then we were kind of on hiatus. Yeah, I don't know. What, I don't know what's going to be next. What's next? Um... I mean, I think, well, the next thing, I don't know where we're allowed to talk about the, the next storyline. Um, but but as yeah. far as the research goes and what Greg has to read, like, it's it's not quite as important that he understands sort of like all the players in the ufo stuff but like we're dealing with with government um documents in some cases we're dealing with a hierarchy of military Mm -hmm. um like i've had to draw i don't know anything about the military so like and and i have to draw like air force people i'm like trying to figure out like what their costumes are and stuff um there's there's just time stuff you know like um references for this is 1950s uh betty and barney hill takes place northeast in forget uh, new hampshire new hampshire right so there's a lot of little material like that that i'll I'll have to you know bump back and forth with um with greg recently we had a really really weird thing where we're um well i guess these aren't big spoilers but there's we're touching on like the maury island stuff and some of the players in this look exactly alike like exactly Mm -hmm. alike and then there's weird stuff where one of them like fred crimson shows up as one of the three hobos that gets Rile, uh, wrangled up in the JFK assassination, like, and then you're just like, wait, is this real? Am I, do I have the right person? You know, and like sometimes you just need Greg to touch reality for us, you know, because it gets so weird and strange, and you get lost in the minutia of it, and, and you need a clear set of eyes to guide you through it. And and sometimes if yeah. determining what is reality is the is the tricky point, like with all of this yeah. stuff. The, the Hill story, the Hill case, and I was tell- talking to Greg a little bit backstage that even though I've been familiar with it for a long time and fascinated with it, I only just recently, back in November, went to the stretch of road uh, where it took place and there's a monument there and everything. And it, I am, I love, I'm fascinated by this story, but I was curious as to why you guys as a creative team decided to begin with the Betty and Barney Hill tale. Mike, do you uh, want to begin with that or? Sure. I'll take it. Um, yeah. It sort of kicks off, you know, the modern, our modern ideas of, of UFO sightings and abductions. Um, 
it really starts with the, the whatever's going on out there, whether this is some sort of human perception thing, whether it's really real or, 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 or otherwise, this is the beginning of our cultural perception of it. Um, and, and these sort of landmarks that happen along the way in there from, you know, the sort of mind control stuff, the, the lost time. Um, the alien presence is really interesting because um, this, this would get into a much larger geekier um, conversation about aliens and stuff, but I'm fascinated about how it changes over time with uh, society. Um, one of the big challenges that I had when I was drawing these guys, the, the aliens that appear in the Betty and Barney Hill story aren't exactly the big headed, large eyed creatures. I mean, they, 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 they have larger eyes according to what Betty and Barney saw, large almond shaped eyes, but they weren't as exaggerated as they, they become <clears throat> in time. Um, so it's interesting to go back to the roots of this story and then see how it sort of um, it changed over time. Not their story, but the way that the stories have changed um, uh, through, through culture. So, and I think it was important to start here because not only is it the first sort of modern versions of this, the, the, the hills themselves are um, uh, very convincing. Um, they went through all kinds of hell at the time. Um, you know, of course, imagine in the 50s, like the way you get mocked now, but imagine in the 50s coming out and said, saying that you were abducted by aliens or you had this thing. You're going to lose your friends. You're going to lose careers. You're going to lose all kinds of stuff. Not only to mention that they were an interracial couple during that time period or both involved or right stuff. They had just a lot going on and a lot, lot to risk, you know. Um, and people will say, oh, they wanted to sell books or whatever. But, you know, A, that is never a guarantee. Like, you know, Greg and I can tell you, like, we're trying, constantly <laughs> trying to sell books and make movie deals and right. film deals. And like, they don't just fall out of trees. This isn't something you can just manufacture and go, oh, well, I'll make up this story and then we'll get like millions of dollars from blah, 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 you know. Um, and, the, and the Hills were also very open about that. Like they didn't make billions of dollars off of it. You know, they bought like new furniture and I think they just upgraded their homes and stuff like that. Like they, there's these chapters where they talk about what they did with the money and how they shared it with, uh, I think the therapist or some somebody like that. So they're very convincing. And it's the beginning of all of this. So I, I think going back to your question, that's why it all sort of, um, it, it was important to start there. Yeah. You, there's this moment at the beginning of the book, first couple panels, when they're in the diner on the way back from their vacation. And I, I appreciate this moment because they're getting strange looks as they're walking through this diner. And it's it's very subtle. It's, it's not overplayed. But I like it because I feel like not there's not really enough focus on the interracial marriage of Betty and Barney Hill. I mean, maybe we talk about it now more, but these people did not want attention. I mean, they wanted attention for civil rights, which they were activists for, but not attention for this, which would detract from their activism. And oh, yeah, they never crossed those lines. They would never yeah. sort of bring those two up, you know. And it wasn't even their choice to tell this story initially. It was ripped away from them. So yeah. I, I find that I, I really just appreciate you kind of touching on that. So you're approaching this factually based on their accounting and and the books that have been written about them with their consent. But Greg, from your process, did you end up listening to the Hills hypnosis tapes at all? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did. I did out of curiosity because I had not listened to them prior to this experience. And you heard, um, heard it, Mike, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, 
to Greg coming into this, what was your reaction to hearing those tapes? I mean, I, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty haunting. It's, it's, I'm pretty open to these type of, I'm usually on the, the side of believing, you know, the, the people tell you and they do, they, they're pretty convincing to me at least. Sounds horrendous to me. I mean, I, it, I yeah. never get over just the sounds of, of them as they're describing what they were experiencing. It, Greg, was there, I mean, this is entertainment. It is a factual representation, but it is entertainment. So, mm. and from both of your perspectives, but starting from the editorial perspective, how do you balance the entertainment while being true to the story without moving into the over sense sensationalized elements? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think James and Michael were both like, um, conscious of that going into you know because it is it's it's very delicate and like there are elements that of that those violations that especially when you're doing a comic book because it lives in the art and the art is a static image whereas if we were if we were recreating this in film or tv you know there's a moving image and there's other things you can do but yeah, you have to be really, really careful and sensitive when, when you're uh, recreating these scenes, for sure. Mm -hmm. And they were, I think. I mean, Michael can talk about it more, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah, add to that, Mike. Um, one of my favorite parts of, of doing this book was, you know, I was aware of their stories before that. Um, but as I'm reading their stories, um, and you read what they went through, like, specifically how, like, Betty was kind of framed as by doubters, you know, as like this Machiavellian person who wanted to be famous and she manipulated her mentally not as strong husband into, like they basically said she incepted him into believing that this thing happened, right? Like, so it's, there's all kinds of layers of, of, of really just um, horrible social stuff going on on top of there, right? So like that was stuff I started to realize as I, as I was reading about their story um, but the really, really interesting thing was as, as they became more real people to me, as opposed to just a story, I also started to realize like they were around the age, I guess they were technically old. They must've been older, but they reminded me of a lot of my older family members. They come from like a, a, the World War II generation and stuff. Um, so that started to inform like the way they, like I see these pictures of, of Betty and she's like, in her basically her bingo outfit right like you know big oversized t-shirt and she's like smoking a cigarette showing where the, the alien thing came and stuff and she just started to become so so human and as i was reading about barney and like barney he had a son who he couldn't see very often he had this crazy job that uh, as a postal guy who was like he was traveling like two hours a day or some crazy stuff like that and so he was under all these pressures and and i just started to relate to them in like this almost family-like um, layer, you know? Not to mention that they have family who are still living now. So A, I wanted to make sure that they were represented well. B, they started to become like real people to me who I could relate to, to the point like when the story ends, like I was a little teary-eyed, you know? And I think I think James did a great way of, of finding an end to the story, to a story that doesn't really have an ending. Um, because without having to create anything, I think we just sort of let their their characters and personalities come alive in the book, whether they're true to who they were 
or not, I, I think it's it's a nice homage to them as people. And I would I would hope that like in the the great UFO cloud up in the sky, they're they're like, okay, you guys did it. You you, you know that wasn't bad. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. <laughs> What were some of the bigger swings that you had to take artistically? I mean, you said that, you know, knowing what a uh, someone in the military might be wearing is one thing, but you are having to interpret descriptions and yes, their own sketches. They're kind of uh, not, not great sketches, quite honestly, of yeah. what <laughs> they saw. And then you're having to bring it all into life or bring it onto the page. What were the biggest artistic swings you had to take? You know, some of it was trying to just be accurate, right? There was that fascinating story about the star map where Betty had seen this book um, that had the description of, um, I forget which which uh, star constellation it is. Zeta Reticuli. Yeah, this is where we get the famous Zeta Reticuli thing from. And, um, you know, there were all these sort of maps. And, and after I'd drawn it the first time, I realized that part of the map, there were there were different kinds of lines drawn between the stars some were solid lines and some were broken lines and they meant different things so like even though this is a really really tiny detail this is the kind of thing i was i was trying to capture um also remembering everybody smoked back then you know but i also didn't want to make it like a smoking comic either but like you know so there's all this little stuff make sure that the cars are right uh that was a big challenge for me because I'm, I'm terrible with cars um Another challenge, like I said, was the aliens. You know, the aliens were described differently. They were much more human-like. Um, and I, I think I did let that go a little bit. Like, I, I couldn't help, but like the iconology that we're so used to now with, with aliens um, got more and more closer to, to modern aliens than what they had actually described. Um, I think the only thing that I didn't do purposefully, the only thing I really left out was there was in Betty's memories, which I think were... You know, they were all kind of mixed up because of the way it was was done. She had memories of the one of the aliens having like a captain's hat on, and I was like, I am not drawing that. <laughs> um, uh, other than that, you know, I had to I, I had to figure out there, there there wasn't much description of like the inside of the ship. There wasn't much description of their outfits. She did kind of draw like they had this sort of like chevroni kind of thing at the top, um, and I don't know if she was just. Uh, winging that or, or not. Um, so yeah, it was, it was difficult to be as close as you can as possible. Um, and also with the, the, um, medical examination stuff to how do we show some of this with also not being, you know, embarrassing or crude, you know, right. um, but also showing that it was dehumanizing at the same time. So it's, it was a real mixed bag of, of challenges. That was, it was a lot of fun because there's no, there's no punching in this comic. There's nobody leaping through windows or the other sort of dynamic stuff you can typically uh, play off of. So, you know, um, the physical acting, the, the emotions through faces, um, dynamic shots of the car being chased by UFOs and stuff was, was a lot of fun to be able to lean on, like just hardcore storytelling. That's, that's all cake and no icing that. So that was a lot of fun. 
were there elements that of the story that you wanted to include and just had to make some other than captain's hats, captain's hats aside <laughs> that you wanted to include, but just had to uh, get put on the chopping block and, and couldn't work it in. Um, Greg, is there any that you can think of? I was going to ask Greg if he, yeah. if he was aware of earlier drafts that might've had some scenes. No, I think, you know, Michael and James are both really good at knowing like the storytelling beats are pretty um at this point i think in both their careers it's second nature in a lot of ways to the way they look at pages and stuff so i don't think i think james is pretty secure in like knowing where the story needs to end to give you like mike was saying that moment of like it's not the end but it's somewhere in between the abstraction of we don't know what is going to happen and optimism that this may be it's a bit of a fairy tale ending. It, yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. feels like rooted in the reality that we know, and then we reach this almost dreamlike conclusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was curious, and and I hate doing this. I'm not trying to do this as a gotcha question or whatever, but there there's this component to the story of Betty's dress, and she had a physical dress, and she just had to get it off, and wanted nothing to do with it, and was grossed out by that. I don't know if you're familiar with that or if there was a specific decision to cut that out or if there's if there's nothing there, that's fine. But I didn't know if you were aware of that or had any thoughts. Well, there was, from what I remember, so, so yeah, there was, during the examination, they cut off part of the dress or that she got something on the dress that was would bring back some form of proof or something. And I know that the, the dress was tested. Um, and we cover not the dress but like the car had become magnetized mm-hmm. um so there were there were these aspects to it i think a thing with the dress is like there's just so much speculation around it about like because they weren't like csi wasn't taking this st- stuff apart you know um so i like i remember that stuff and it was um we didn't have a conversation about it but i know it just would have been difficult to figure out like it, it becomes like a, more of a curiosity than anything else right it's easy for um, these things yeah. to be like a detour. And then once you go down that detour, either you keep following it or it feels incomplete. I yeah. Like there's a whole section in there where, um, Betty has a gun. Um, I mean, most people in the fifties had a gun, you know, and if you're traveling, it wasn't like, it, it's a very different, uh, um, landscape than today. Um, is it? And- <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know what geez. I mean. Unfortunately, uh, just, just mentioning it is a thing, right? <laughs> so, um, but they had the gun with them, and Barney has a memory of retrieving the gun, um, but he doesn't have a memory of what happens with it after that. Um, and there's these these weird layers of of mixed memory stuff. And the thing is, you can go down those rabbit holes um, because there are times where he would talk about it, and other times where where he wouldn't. There's those strangers that they saw on the side of the road that might have been a screen memory for something. Um, and I think James did a smart job, and you don't want to answer everything. You want to leave some of these mysteries. And by answering, I don't even mean having an answer, but just sort of addressing it. Like, sometimes it's it's best to have something just weird happen. And, like, yeah, if we never figure out what that's about. Uh, because there's so much of this is like that. You just don't know what it's about. I mean, I've been studying this fields really since i was a kid and and i know less now than when i feel less sure about what's going on now than when i started was there there's i don't 
I, and correct me if I'm wrong, compared to your other work, I think this is the first time that you're dealing with subject matter that really for decades has been digested and represented in other media. And even recently there was the project blue book series of the live action. And that was heavily scripted fictionalized version of it. But was that a challenge at all in approaching this thing that people are sort of aware of from a cultural osmosis uh, standpoint or have recently watched the show and now you're going to do your take on it. It really, I think uh, uh, Greg, tell me if you, you agree with this, like it was almost easier because there was so much sort of Hollywood Hollywoodization, if that's a word of, of the field, you know, to, to just go back, to strip things back to, um, you know, these were the reports by the air force. These were the reports that people were going through at the time. Um, like, like to just peel back all these layers. Like when you saw like fire in the sky, right? Great, great film. And I loved it. But most of it is made up. What happens to him inside the ship is all this like horror stuff that's, you need it for, well, I would argue you didn't need it for the film, you know? Um, uh, so, so really just pulling it back and making it simple and about their experiences as people, um, I think is, is more relatable and stronger than, you know, getting into lights in the sky and, you know, all the technical aspects of like, well, you know, was this recorded on FLIR or was this recorded on this thing? Or, you know, what did this member of the government said? Um, just stripping it down to like just the, the human experience. Mm-hmm. So looking ahead, I mean, look, we're we're early in the Blue Book run, and uh, you've got a lot of uh, chapters ahead of us coming out in, in the Dark Horse comics. But talk a little bit about the other Blue Books or other high strangeness stories that you guys are going to be getting into and what you would like to get into. I know over at the Substack, you've, you've started the Kenneth Arnold story right so uh greg why don't you why don't you start with that talk about other cases what's ahead and what you would like to get into yeah 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 right now in in the sub stack we're working yeah we're we're with kenneth arnold uh in the late 40s and um we get into i don't i mean i guess none of this is spoilers right (laughs) technically (laughs) it's historical documents (laughs) Um, and then, yeah, we get into Roswell soon. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think, I mean, I, Mike can talk about it more, but there's, I, there's, from what I've seen of, of publishing plans, there's um, lots of chapters of Blue Book ahead of us. Yeah, right now, I'd say, like, <laughs> like between the Kenneth Arnold, um, I mentioned more, Maury Island earlier, and then, of course, we'll, we'll obviously mm-hmm. at some point do, do Roswell. Um, but there are several other really big, cases um with lots of witnesses uh cases with um lots of government uh witnesses um to get into so i mean we we have like right now we probably have about two years worth of stuff planned out but um and we could keep going because of because of the depth of it and especially because the public doesn't know about you know rendlesham forest or you know what happened poughkeepsie and you know this kind of stuff um uh, and then there's all the, the 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 neat stuff that Greg could talk to. It's about the the weird, the extra weird stories that we're doing, which I love. That's in here too. Yeah, I want to hear a little bit about that, Greg. These uh, true mm. true weird stories that that you're going to be talking about, and and these appear in the single issues. There's the Coney mm-hmm. Island story, which is a great story, by the way. Um, I love that one. But speak speak about what you have planned on that front. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The True Weird is like an anthology series that's going to run alongside Blue Book and kind of, um, you know, hit, it, it's similar in tone and, and it's, it's, um, it's also historical nonfiction comic book work. Um, so we're, we've been recruiting other writers and artists that are um, like-minded souls and, and asking them for the stories that, that it excites them, whether it's, you know, regional stuff, um, we did one in Canada with uh, Zach uh, Davidson um, and Gavin Fullerton, you know, like last year in the Substack. Um, and uh, Genevieve Valentine did Ectoplasm with uh, Ming Doyle. And uh, let's see. Oh, and Aditya, our, the letterer of, of Blue Book, um, is also a writer. And he wrote about the monkey man um, in India that happened, that Aditya lived through at the happening of that. Um, so there's been a lot of fun stories that, you know, are, are pretty personal to people or, or people are really passionate about, kind of like James and Michael on Blue Book. And um, yeah, it's just really fun. So yeah, it's uh, lots of artists and lots of writers and different perspectives. Um, so yeah, those are running as short stories in the Substack, and then they will go as like backup material in the Blue Book series, and then they'll be collected separately as their own like um, trade paperback graphic novels uh, later. Oh, very yeah. cool. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really totally down for that. That's very cool. Do you, uh, Mike? I've I don't know. This just could be a Wikipedia fact, but I've heard that you are a fan of ancient mythology and i was just curious what your thoughts were on sort of the ancient astronaut ideas and those notions um you know i i i've really come to the conclusion that we that like a lot of what i think is is pretty common sense in between the fringe world and 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 the straight world let's say um but the the wackiest thing that i believe the the fringiest sort of woo that i could kind of take a stand on uh is that we probably are in some sort of consciousness driven universe um whether our brains are receptors for whatever's wherever we really are or that you know time might not be linear but that we perceive it so so it's organized in this way for us and in some way through our consciousness which would explain um the weirdness uh the inconsistencies and if you've talked to people who've had these experiences like if you know anybody that you love and trust who've had these experiences it's hard to say oh you're seeing things you know, um, so I, I think that there's something going on that's very, you know, uh, Jungian that just taps into um, a sort of a, not a universal consciousness in like a crystal, you know, tie dye kind of way, but, you know, in the way that like people will have the same ideas at the same time on other sides of the planet, right? Um, cultures will develop similarly because of um, survival instincts and what it means to be afraid of the night, what it means to hunt. And like you start to to develop the same sorts of ideas everywhere, um, and, and and very much like a, a Joseph Campbell sort of way. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Maybe these things are a little more literal. Like you know, we have been influenced by uh, aliens or angelic figures or you know larger pan dimensional intelligences or something. Um, I think the universe is so weird that it's 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 possible it could be any of that you know, or that none of yeah. this is even happening right now. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I mean, obviously I don't know, but 
it's fascinating to me is a student of all this high strangeness as well as folklore and things like that, how people of different cultures, different pockets of the world who never had any crossover were developing these same notions of, I don't know, for instance, like we, they might be called leprechauns in Ireland, but every culture has some sort of version of like a mischievous, you know, little person. And a lot of times dressed in similar ways, like, or, or other things, goblins and whatnot. So there does seem to be something that's connecting our consciousness. It's also how we manage getting a couple of volcano movies at the same time. <laughs> but are you guys finding now that you're kind of, you're entrenched in this world along with the actual headlines that are, that have been coming out for the last few years of the New York times yeah. and press briefings of the white house involve people asking about UFOs. Are, is this a topic of conversation in your non-creative hub or people bringing this up in your uh, normal day-to-day life? Greg, over there over there in Jersey City, are people talking about aliens to you now that they know you're working on this? Um, not if I can avoid it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, like, I mean, I've always been, like, a believer. Like, I mean, all my like, everyone in New York's lived in a haunted apartment, right? So... That sort of stuff. I've been a believer, and I've been talking about that stuff for a while. My friend group probably leans more towards nerdy and witchy and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's always around for me, luckily. (laughs) And, Mike, I forget where you're based. Portland? Yeah, right now I'm south side of Portland. Yeah, Um, great weirdness hub, and obviously lots of alien as well as ghost and Bigfoot talk. But how about you? Is it is it popping up in your conversations? You know what's weird? Like in the creative community, I think people are much more just fascinated by this stuff and caught up into it as opposed to taking a stand and believing things mm-hmm. specifically. Like when I when I talk to James, he has a similar thought that I do about this stuff. And like, it, honestly, it wasn't until couple, maybe five or six years ago that somebody literally asked me, do you believe in aliens, that aliens are visiting us? And I was like, oh, wait, I don't know. But I, I love the story. I believe in the stories and like all of that, like, and then it feeds into my creativity and stuff. So I have this weird creative objectivity to it that makes it confusing as soon as I actually think about what I do believe in and, and don't believe. Um, the one interesting thing though, is like, we're just, re- when you read Blue Book, you'll start to see what's happening right now with the UAP reports and all these, this, this Air Force stuff. We've been here before. This is just history repeating again. And like you get the same messages out of the government that, that first they'll say it was this one thing and it's always a balloon. That that's what Roswell was, right? It's like first it was aliens, next day, oh wait, wait, I'm sorry, we didn't mean aliens, we meant a balloon. It's a weather balloon. Yeah. Um and and now we have the balloon things going on and we have like official videos and then they'll walk back and it's all weird, man. What's what's curious to me though is that we're also now in this time where people have the ability to they're capturing it themselves and the message is harder to keep contained. And, and even like in the nineties, there was strange happenings in Michigan and there was enough people. I mean, Michigan is very weird, but they, you know, you couldn't keep a lockdown on the information. It was just kind of yeah. spreading out. So now it's not just a controlled government um, messaging and yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, and without any sort of conspiratorial end of it, it does seem that there are people inside the government who want to talk about this stuff, you know, um, and others who don't want to. And whether it's true or not, or it's all just sort of um, 
smoke and screens to keep internal secrets secret and stuff. You know, there does seem to be some sort of willingness for somebody on the inside to start talking. Um, and it is easier now for people to, to start speaking because of, you know, social media and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be interesting. Maybe something will change. We'll see. Greg, I, you mentioned everyone in New York having lived in a, a haunted apartment. And actually, I don't I don't hear as many, and I look for these stories, I don't hear as many mm-hmm. haunted apartment stories in New York as I would like to hear. I think maybe people are just caught up in their lives and not paying attention. But <laughs> is there something about this notion of extraterrestrials, especially as you're editing these books, editing these issues, is there something about this notion of extraterrestrials that is more unsettling to you than a notion of a ghost or are you more afraid of the notion of the ghost as opposed to the alien Hmm. um well i'm more afraid of the alien having not yet been abducted or encountered them i'm still holding out but yeah i think there's something because you know our whatever they are as a representation of our fears or in the, the different ways we've translated like people's um, visualizations of them. I think they are inherently a little more scary than a ghost to me that is usually more humanoid in, or, you know, like, you know, like we can picture the scene more. Like yeah. if it's, if it's like the haunted apartment, you know, I knew that it was someone else that lived there. Most likely. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, from a psychological standpoint, I guess, a ghost is us, just in a different form. Unresolved issues and (laughs) similar emotional states of being Mm -hmm. at at some point. Whereas an alien, we don't know what the hell is going on with that. I don't know. Aliens freak me out more. I mean, (laughs) I, I, I think it's probably their turn to take the wheel from us for a bit but they kind totally, of yeah but but uh mike what what is your thought is any of this when when you really think about it when you look at that gorgeous star-filled portland sky is there any element that's just beyond the all and the wonder that might come across as a little creepy and unsettling to you I mean, I, I think the, all of those phenomenons are kind of cousins of the same thing. You know, if you, if you look into the UFO phenomena, there's a lot of that sort of like trickster elements, mm-hmm. you know, um, and you definitely get that when you get into ghosts and the, the spirit world as well, you know. Um, so I, I kind of wonder if it's all sort of this, this the same thing. Um, I do hope that my wife and I get abducted, though, because I I, um, I, uh, I always say if we get abducted, like uh, I, I've got my mind trained to get them to cure her MS for her. You know, so like that's that's my goal is like, you know, mm-hmm. we haven't seen anything yet. We've been out to the stars. We've been out to this really weird place out here called um, Mount Adams, which there's all kinds of weird stuff. We haven't seen anything. We're trying. We're open minded. Uh, but that's my goal. Like, let's get abducted so we can get you uh, fixed. I and and look, I think that the nerds are we're the ones that are set up to be abducted and have these experiences, because <laughs> when you've already lived a life in this in this kind of um sandbox of imagination and reading about it and thinking about it and everything that when the moment happens you'll be like okay uh so it's happening uh all right (laughs) (laughs) so now you and and the fact that you've mentally thought about like i'm going to think about this message to send to them telepathically 
to help my wife. Like you've got the plan. You've done yeah. the prep work. <laughs> Yeah, I want something practical out of it, you know. Yeah. So, uh, well, what if they wanted you to? What if they're like, because there are the stories, and it's like, all right, well, you could come with us. Uh, would you? Would you go? Would you take the one-way ticket? Only if Taki can come with me. That I think that's an automatic yes. The oh yeah, then we're out of here, man. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry, Greg. We won't meet that deadline. I know. I was gonna say. <laughs> That's it's okay. I'm going to be terrible crying. for the comics industry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> unless uh, unless they've got a really good broadband on <laughs> Zeta Reticuli. <laughs> um, well, guys, I really I, I really appreciated this conversation, and I, I love hearing your different perspectives on it. And uh, I love, Mike, I, I, I appreciate how you're just such a deep-in-the-weeds nerd, and Greg, you're like <laughs> definitely coming along in, in, in this as well. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, uh, and, and the next single issue of Blue Book comes out on March 23rd, I believe, on out of uh, Dark Horse. And meanwhile, you guys also have the Substack. And give me the address for the Substack one more time. It's jamestynaniv.substack.com. Gotcha. And meanwhile, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And hit me up, guys, if you need someone to contribute some stories for you of this weird stuff. I will I will add to, to the true weird tales. But uh, in right. the meantime, once again, my <laughs> guests today are Michael Ivanomi and editor Greg Lockhart. And they, along with James Tynan, are the creative team behind Blue Book. And this has been Talking Strange. If you have stories you'd like to share of the strange and unusual, email us at talkingstrange at denofgeek.com. I'm Aaron Sagers. And until next time, be kind, stay spooky, and keep it weird. Talking Strange is a part of the Den of Geek Network, available wherever you listen to other podcasts. If you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. And please, subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv slash denofgeektv and youtube.com slash denofgeekus. And please follow at TalkStrangePod on Twitter and at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon for more paranormal pop culture content.